0: All right, here's here's how we're going to start tonight. We're going to start, I'm going to do a little Bible study, then y'all are going to help me out a little bit. We're going to do a little bit of what we did last week because we're talking about some of the same things. But uh, I want to start tonight by letting you help me identify some people. So I'm going to put a picture up and you tell me who it is, all right? So we can go with picture number uno, Oprah, right? All right, let's go to the next one. See if you know all these. Elvis, right? The king. All right, let's go next one. Share, all right. Madonna, yeah, it's a very classy picture of Madonna. So there we go. Who's that? Tiger, right. And then one more. You may. This one may be a little. You may that. Bono, yeah, the lead singer. of You too, all right. Here's what I think is interesting about all all six of those people. Now, now you gave me first and last names on a lot of them, which is really good. But most of them are just known by one name, right? First name, that one name. And globally, they're known by one name. And they spent years developing a brand and an identity to where people know them by that one name. In fact, um, there, there are people all over the world at this moment who are just trying to make it, just trying to get their name out there, just trying to let people recognize who they are. I mean, there, there are songs about the desire to, to matter, to be important, to be known, to, to mean something. When I was growing up, I was a country music fan, loved country music, listened to it all the time. And there was a song by a guy named Travis Tritt, was, I Want to Be Somebody. It's a story of a guy that just wants somebody to know who he is. In fact, some of that's the American dream, right? We keep working, we keep striving, we keep acting, we keep going, and we keep moving towards this idea that someday we'll make it. Well, what is it? Well, part of it is to be recognized. Uh, we were at the dinner table the other day, and, and uh, Eli, just out of the blue, says, you know, when I grow up, I think I want to be famous. I'm like, well, where did that come from? And I, don't, I really don't know how that's going to happen. You don't want to say, listen, if you want to be famous then, we've, we've already too late, all right? But there's this idea they want to name recognition of something. And, and, and here's the thing. Last week we talked about this concept that, It seems that as believers, we have moved away from this identity as people that are following the Great Commission. In fact, there was a uh, blog post this week by the president of Lifeway asking if Southern Baptists, that's us, that's churches like us, have lost their first love. And their first love in the article was not only to fall in love with Jesus, but to fall in love with evangelism. We talked last week that the first step to... Getting back that identity as people that love others and are searching for others is to be awed again by the majesty and the grandeur of the name of Jesus and who he is. If you were here, we we had four separate groups. You know, remember we walked through four stories of Jesus' power over nature and power over demons and power over sickness and power over death. We stood in awe of this powerful, magnificent, majestic God and what He has done for us. What's interesting is I want to think just for a moment about that story in Mark 5. One of the ones we looked at last week, and you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to kind of tell you about it, but I think it's interesting. The the story of the woman who who touches the hem of his garment. You know, what's interesting about that story to me uh, is We talked about it a little bit last week, but just the longing in her heart. For over a decade, for 12 years, she had gone to doctors. She had hoped day after day after day that this would be it. And surely she longed for a day when the bleeding would stop, when it would be over, when it would be done, when everything would be okay. She dreamed of a time when she could walk in and nobody would say, hey, that's the one nobody can get close to. She longed for a moment when she could... Enter into a place and not be immediately ostracized. The text says about her, she had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. The scripture repeating things like that lets us know that she had had all she could take. She didn't have any hope. Her expectations were gone. She thought she was at the end of a rope or at a dead end or that life was just as life was going to be for her. And the truth is, if you don't know somebody like that in our world, you don't know very many people because there are lots of people like that in our world. And maybe it's not somebody has been struggling with a health issue for 12 years, or perhaps it is. I mean, right next door to you could be somebody who's very much like this woman. And Jesus is coming through her town and she... Knew she had to get to him. Tossing aside all cultural prohibitions, she somehow snaked her way through the crowd and she touches the hem of his garment. Instantaneously, Jesus did what a physician could not do in 12 years. The Messiah healed her, restored her broken body. But more than that, we talked about that last week. He turned her and he said, daughter, daughter. Now, we could camp there for a long time. We could talk about the significance of that word. I, I told you about my experience at Union where the pastor used that phrase so powerfully. But I want you to look at something else that's there. This is a verse, Mark five twenty-seven. You can just listen if you're there. You can look at it. If not, just, just listen. It says, having heard about Jesus. And here's what struck me as I thought about this is that there is an unsung hero in this text. Because she had to hear about Jesus from somewhere, and more than likely in that day and time, from someone. Somebody had to say to her, you're not going to believe what I've heard about this Jesus. You're not gonna, it's going to be amazing. This guy's coming to town. You don't know who he is? He's the healer. He's the one they think's the Messiah. He could change things for you. Maybe somebody said to her, Jesus is coming. I've heard that he gives sight to the blind. Perhaps he can help you. Or somebody said, I understand that he gives ears to the deaf and legs to the lame. He even can raise the dead. He's coming to town. Whoever it was, we don't know who it was because they're not named in the text. Whoever it was that spoke to the woman, she heard enough that she risked all that she had to get to the one named Jesus. The unknown person took a risk to the point Of taking a hurting woman to Jesus. At the end though it's worth the risk right. Whatever risk he had it's worth it. Because what happens to her? She is healed. Everything had changed. Here's what's interesting. We still don't know who it was that told her originally. No credit. He's a nobody in the pages of history. Or she's a nobody. Instead of. Being somebody, this person is a nobody. Why do you think they didn't give any credit to people that told her about Jesus? Because who are the Gospels about? Jesus. And evangelism, spreading the Gospel, is quite simply to focus more on the one to whom we witness than the one that is doing the witnessing. The writer of Mark's gospel was more concerned about proclaiming the majesty of Jesus than he was about giving glory to someone that told her about Jesus. And the question that may be difficult for us to ask and we may have to deal with is, are we willing to be a witness for Jesus even if the world never knows? Am I prepared to do whatever Jesus demands even if my name's never mentioned in relationship to how many souls are won or how much work was done? Am I willing to serve with people that may never acknowledge my work? Or do we worry sometimes about our own name too much? If you want to be someone who is passionately following Lord in the Great Commission, we have to stand in awe of His Majesty, but we also have to be willing to be a nobody. Unrecognized, unknown for Him. Here's what I'm going to have you do. Y'all loved it so much last week. I need you to get into four groups, however you want to do it, starting now. Four groups. All right, we got our four groups. We'll call this first group up here the amoeba group because they are all over the place here. Everybody else nice and tight, all right? In the back, we're going to start with Doc Hagen. You're group number one tonight. Group number one, your task is to read Philippians 3, verses 2 through 11. And discuss how that relates to being a nobody. Group number two, right over here. Let me make sure I got these. There you go. Group number two. You are 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 1 through 10. Same thing. What is that how does that relate to being a nobody? Group 3 Mark 9 14 through 37. Luke 22 31 through 62. All right, everybody got what's your Passage you're looking at, talk about it. You're going to come back. Somebody's going to tell us a brief synopsis, the cliff notes of your story or your passage, and then how that relates to being a nobody for Jesus. And if you don't have a clue, just tell us what the story is and say, Pastor, you tell me. All right? Y'all spend some time doing that. How it relates to being a nobody for Jesus. About five to ten minutes. Okay? So. Don't rush through it. Take some time. Think through it. Talk about it. Take about three or four more minutes. Discuss kind of what the point of the passage is overall and then how that might fit with being a nobody. All right. I I gave you passages, but they're not necessarily in the order I'm going to call you to report. So... The first passage is the Philippians 3, 2 through 11. So that's Doc Hagen's group back there, I believe. Who's your spokesperson? Oh, Ms. Betty Carpenter. Ms. Betty, give us a quick overview of what is Philippians 3, 2 through 11, and then how that relates to being a nobody. All right. Okay. So the first thing that being a nobody means is not letting our achievements get in the way of the Great Commission. Okay. It's what Paul talked about, you said it. He used to be somebody. In fact, he said, I used to be somebody's somebody. I was a big deal. He, He that passage in there he says, If anybody has grounds, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, which meant I was a Jew of Jews, nation of Israel, the best nation, tribe of Benjamin, best tribe, Hebrew born of Hebrews. As to the law, I was perfect. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. As to the righteousness, I followed everything. So he says, this is all my stuff. And then he says, "Um, I consider all of that rubbish. Now, rubbish is one of those good European words, right? And it really doesn't even give the crassness of the word that Paul uses there. In fact, if I used a literal translation of what Paul was saying... Y'all, y'all would not think very highly of your pastor. He says it is dung is the word. That's as nice as you can say it, right? Poopy in our house is what we say. Now think of what he's saying as that, because we hear that and we think, oh, okay. He's saying everything he had ever accomplished in life before he met Jesus was a pile of dung. Nothing. Now I want you to think, because in this room, we have people that have achieved things that the world thinks is significant or good, or people would look at it and say, you've accomplished this. If you were building a resume today for a job you're planning to get tomorrow, what accomplishments would you list on there? What things would you do to impress people? This is what I've done. Then imagine yourself saying what Paul said about it. And it's nothing but rubbish. Because of my relationship with Christ. It's a lot easier for us to read Paul doing it than to do it with our own life. Now, we know sometimes it's not hard because we know even those accomplishments are tainted. Or they're not what they seem. But we all have things we're proud of. And to say that it was rubbish is a bold step. So if we're going to be people that, that passionately proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to people around us, the first thing is we've got to get over ourselves and the accomplishments we have and the things the world looks at and says, "Woo, that's good. Now, here's what's interesting. As Christians, though, We fall into the trap of the world, and the people with the most worldly accomplishments are the people we want speaking out for us. Why do you think Christians love Tim Tebow so much? Because he won. There's a show coming on tonight that is worldwide popular. It's back with a bunch of duck hunters that own Duck Call Company down in Louisiana, right? And as Christians, we love them because they've accomplished this great thing in the sight of the world so they can speak for Jesus. But in Scripture, Paul says, all that stuff doesn't count. And Paul lived it. Because he gave it up, right? When he went from persecuting the church to following Jesus, he went from the persecutor to the persecuted. He was willing to be nobody for Jesus. All right, second passage. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. Who's that group? Who's Mark 9? That's y'all. This is up here. All right. Who's spokesperson here? Okay, good, Teresa. Yeah. And accepting nobodies, right? Um, it's a fascinating story because this guy comes to Jesus and says, I need you to heal. And he says, well, what's going on? He goes, well, I took them to your disciples and they couldn't do it. And, you know, that's got to be embarrassing if you're the disciples, right? But what's more embarrassing is then Jesus does it, and he says, your lack of faith, your lack of prayer, you, you're not doing what you need to do, it's not happening. And then he, he heals the child, gets the demon out. And then he comes upon them and says, so what are y'all, ta- what are y'all talking about? You, you, know, you know, you've been that, you walked up on somebody, having a conversation, and you, sometimes you get the feeling that they're talking about you. You ever had that experience? So that's what's going on. Oh, nothing. nothing. We're not talking about. I heard my name. No, no, that wasn't, that wasn't your name. No, I don't know. Jesus walks up, and says, what are, you, "What are you talking about?" They were arguing over who was going to be the greatest when Jesus got his kingdom. <laughs> now, now, the ironic thing about that is it's placed immediately after they couldn't do what Jesus just did. So, who's the obvious answer? Who's the greatest? Him, not them. Right, and then Jesus teaches us this lesson, and we see this, and we think because of our society how how sweet and how beautiful because we love kids, you know you put uh somebody posted a video online today of natalie grant i don 't know if she's a Christian music artist, and she was doing this. Uh, she was singing a song just in a studio, and it was called When I Leave the Room. And it was, I'm going to leave Jesus by your side when I leave the room. And somebody warned me that I didn't need to watch that sitting at my desk because I'd be crying about my own kids in the moment, right? And it's this whole song about kids growing up too fast, which I don't need right now, okay? But we love kids, right? We're well, precious to us. They come down the aisle. They We see them, and they're so precious. You know, you go to a wedding, and you get... You get all those guys and girls dressed up, but people really want to see two things, right? To see if the kids cooperate and what the bride looks like. That's all you care about because we love kids, right? In their society, kids were not to be seen nor heard at all. Jesus says, while you're over here arguing about who's the greatest, let me show you who the greatest is. It's one that comes like these kids who just accept and believe. Beware of worldly greatness, because it takes nobodies with faith to trust Jesus. Sometimes we get onto the disciples for arguing about who the greatest is among themselves while Jesus is sitting there. But I, I, I've been a part of churches where those kind of disagreements occur. Whose values are more important? Whose stuff is more vital? Whose place is more prevalent? I've been parts of churches that had those kind of complex issues with other churches. Denominations that have those kind of issues with other denominations. And Jesus says, while you're arguing about who the greatest is, I'm going to use some people that act and look and respond in faith like children do. In their society, there were very few nobodies. And y'all were right. The nobody with the demon. A child with a demon was about as far away from somebody as you could get. All right, third one is Luke 22, 31 through 62. That's over here, right? So, hey, that one was be a nobody, beware of greatness, all right? Understand true greatness. All right, go. Who's our spokesperson over here? Same kind of thing, yeah. All right, just kind of give a quick summary and... Yours really is kind of... I know I should have told you this before you looked at it. It's kind of the beginning and the ending of that that kind of come together that we're going to focus on. So go ahead. Yeah, the story of Peter is interesting. And I found some things about Peter. Peter was a reckless kind of guy. Impulsive. Um, And sometimes that was okay, but sometimes it got him in trouble. And, and, And don't hear me saying that always... Stepping out or impulsiveness gets you in trouble, but unchecked impulsiveness can. Just some ideas. You know, you talked about Peter was certainly confident. In fact, his overconfidence is brazen, as you said. I like that word. That I will go with you to the death. I will go to prison for you, Jesus. Whatever it is, I will. But then you get this sense that all of, in the midst of all this, sometimes when we're outside, we're reading the story. We take off the human limitations of people, but can you imagine how emotionally and physically exhausted these guys were? Jesus gets arrested, and you've been there. You're at your wit's end, and something happens that tells you your wit's end has got to move because you've got other stuff you've got to do. Right? Just like, you know, you've ever said this, just when I thought I couldn't take any more, bam." They're at their wits' end. They don't know what's going on. Everything in the world is changing. And then Jesus gets arrested. And Peter gets caught in a place where he denies Jesus. In verse 61, it says, The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Now, what's going on in Jesus' life at this moment? I mean, this is, you know, trial. He's been through already interrogation. It's just, these are the final hours of his life. Jesus under arrest, heading toward the cross, and Peter was attempting to blend in with the enemies. Denying him, I didn't know him, I didn't know what was going on. In the midst, the Lord turns and looks at him face to face, eyeball to eyeball, heart to heart. You ever caught your kids or your grandkids right in the middle of something they shouldn't be doing? Right? And they turn and look at you and that look on their face is I ain't got nowhere to go. Right? You ever been caught in one of those ways? By a spouse or maybe you remember a parent doing that? Here's what's amazing about Jesus. In Mark 16... Peter gets to the depth of your sin and your fallenness in that moment. But in Mark chapter 16, when Jesus rises from the grave and he tells them to go tell the disciples to come, he says, go tell the disciples, and I've always loved this, and Peter. Here's what it means to be a nobody in this sense is, we have to understand that we are sinful people and we can't try to make ourselves better than we are before Christ. Just admit that's who you are. Trust on the Lord to heal it and take it. Now, that doesn't mean you go out and sin all you want. Go, that's just who I am. But it means you realize before the Lord that you're standing. One last passage, and then I'm going to wrap it up. And that is 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. Paul here describes... Most people think this vision of the one that's in heaven is him. That he was taken to a place that he had a vision that others wouldn't have. But it says the Lord, in order to keep him humble, allowed him a thorn in the flesh and did not take it away. Now, I want to ask you a question. Could God have taken it away? Absolutely. And he chose not to. And sometimes that's hard for us to understand. If God loves me, he'd take it away. But we all know that sometimes the best thing in life is not to give your kids everything they want, right? And Paul apparently needed this humbling experience. You know, what's fascinating to me is if you look through Scripture, some of God's greatest servants were people that had deficiencies, right? Moses couldn't talk. Gideon's army was too big. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the President of the United States getting on and go, We were about to go attack them, but our army's just way too big. We got too many people. We're going to downsize all across the board to the smallest possible force we can find, and then we'll go attack. Can you imagine Rush Limbaugh the next day? Cutting defense. But he did, right? Gideon goes out there, he says, Gideon. You're about to attack, you're going to win, but you got too many guys. i got to weed them out, take a bunch of them and go. Oh, there's still too many. David goes to meet Goliath with a sling. Now, it wasn't, you know, it's not one of these little ones you buy at Cracker Barrel. Okay? It, the rocks would have been about that big. He would have slung it like this and thrown it. And so it's not like it was a pebble that donked him on the head, right? But still, verse Goliath, it was not much. More than once, God reminded his people that the battle was his, not theirs. And that we have to be willing to be broken in who we are before the Lord. Being a nobody means that we put our past achievements and our current achievements in the rearview mirror and say they're nothing before the Lord. Now we realize that greatness has nothing to do with worldly understanding of greatness, but it means being like a child in faith, loving God. It means being aware that our sin is a reality and we're not going to hide it and we're not going to be overconfident in who we are, but we're going to trust in Christ. And it means that even in our deficiencies we will trust Him to go forth. But perhaps the most important thing about being someone that's a great commissioned Christian and nobody is to have a passion to see people come to know Christ. Now, I want to read you... A passage, then we're going to be done. Just three verses. I, I just want you to think about what he says. This is Paul. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. So Paul basically said, I'm telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, right? I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off for Christ so that my brothers of my own race could be saved. Paul says that his desire for his Israelite brothers to be saved is so great that he even wishes at times he could be cut off from Christ so that they could be saved. That's sacrificial love. And I wonder, I'll just be honest. Every time I read those verses, it convicts me to no end. Because the truth is, if I had that kind of compassion for my neighbors, for my friends, for people without Christ, I'd be doing a whole lot more than I am. When we say we care about the lost, that we love the lost, that we love the world, that we want to see the world come to Christ. But are we that bold? If I knew my entire family would go to heaven, I'd be willing to spend eternity separated from God. Now, Paul never says that can happen. Understand, okay? He just says that his desire is so great for them that if being cursed for him would make it happen, he'd do it. Now, we have an example of that in Scripture, right? Because isn't that the love Christ showed for us? that he became cursed, he who knew no sin became sin. The question is, is our desire for others that strong?